you're listening to Politics Explained. Back to basics in the political sandpit with Rodney Hyde and Tane Webster. You're on Rattly Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, you can send us a text at 2057. Email us at inbox at We love your messages. We love your texts. We love your emails. We love the criticisms. We love the praise. We love hearing your comments. We love hearing your views. We love hearing your suggestions. Now, regular slot. Politics Explained. Back to basics in the political sandpit with Tane Webster. Good morning, Tane. Good morning, Rodney. So, what yeah, questions few, have we got? Yeah, a few people have been asking when they were annoyed we didn't ask it last week, but what's the deal with why does it take so long for the special votes to be counted? Well, I'm not 100% sure, but what I do know is that we have, as best as I can determine it, an extremely secure system of voting and auditing the vote. So when I stood for Parliament, I would have scrutineers at every polling booth, and they would be judiciously marking off everyone as they came in to vote and checking that they were who they said they were and that they only got one ballot, and then they would oversee the political parties are all entitled to a representative to oversee the counting of the votes. Now, you don't have a name attached, obviously, but they make sure each pile it goes into the right pile and it's counted. So there's a great oversight. Now, I can imagine with the overseas vote, and more particularly the vote where people have voted outside their electorate, I assume, I don't know, but I assume that the political parties have their representatives overseeing that, and there's a great deal of care taken that you just haven't had Joe Bloggs turn up at some voting booth and say, "Oh yeah, no, I I, I live in uh, I live in the Epsom electorate and uh, I just want to vote here today." And then they go back into another polling booth and say, "Oh yeah, no, I I live in so and so." And you know, so they've got to check that everyone just gets to vote once, and every person that votes is entitled to vote. And then, of course, they look at the actual vote paper to see that it's appropriate. So I imagine because they didn't vote in their electorate, the electorate, uh, they've got to go against the whole role, you know. So I imagine it's it's physical, uh, it's being properly audited, and I think in New Zealand properly done. At the end of every election, uh, the sele- there's a select committee that does a review and looks at what could be done better. And again, all the political parties that are in Parliament get to have a say. People can make a submission to that committee about suggestions or what went wrong. So we have got, uh, I think, and I believe, and I have no reason not to doubt it, a very secure system. The one thing you do not want is uh, postal voting. I think that's open to fraud. And I also would rather go back that you just vote on the one day unless you have a very good reason not to. And I think if we did that, we would actually get a more a, a quicker result. Um, having said that, it's coming up this Saturday, two weeks. How dumb is it, right? The pollsters, the experts all said, oh, yes, Nationals won. No. Um, we've got to wait for all the votes to come in, and then we've got to have the talks. So... National didn't win, it's MMP. Only once have we had a political party get 
over 50% of the seats, and that was, of course, Labour in 2020. They didn't have to negotiate with anyone. They were in a very powerful position. Mr Luxon's got to talk to Mr Peters. He's got to talk to Mr Seymour. And Mr Seymour and Mr Peters won't be rushing in to form a government. They'll be trying to, this is their best opportunity to pursue their policies and to pursue their political success. Um, Mr Luxon's in a hurry because he wants to look like he's a no-nonsense prime minister able to negotiate and get on with things. So it's going to take a while, but I think it's glorious. In the meantime, yeah, in the meantime, 10 days without a government that can do much. Yeah, it's perfect, right? Because no new taxes, um, no new regulation to... We have limited government. Yeah. Imagine if we just did this for three years, just we had a spell, you know. We said, oh, my goodness, there's so much coming your way. We're just going to take a breather and we're going to have three years of no government, just have everything tick along. And, of course, here's the funny thing. Government actually works without politicians. Like every government department's just doing its thing. Can you imagine it? They're sort of spending money, doing their thing, writing regulations, making decisions, carrying on regardless, um, without the impediment of pesky politicians telling them what to do and messing things up or asking questions or the public coming to the local MP. It almost shows you that we do have this government apparatus that is independent and able to operate without ministers very easily. I know, by the way, this is a very interesting thing from my experience. Um, When I was a minister, and it's the same for the prime minister, you take a while and then you work out what questions come to you to be answered and when your power is. And basically, on a day-to-day basis, sure, you can set policy, and if the department is of a mind, they might do it. If they're not of a mind, they'll block you and everything will slow down, it won't happen. I mean, that happens. It's a reality. No matter how much you can jump up and down, nothing gets done. But what I noticed was 99.9% of all the decisions that they're taking are sort of obvious, and they just take them. And the only questions that come to you are the questions that don't have an answer, if you know what I mean. And when they come to you and they say, oh, Minister, we don't know what to do. It could be A, it could be B, or it could be C. And you look at it and you realize that there's no stand, there's no right answer. It's a bit of a coin toss. I don't know. But they come to the minister to get the minister to say, do A. Right? And in a they funny know way, what they think would be best. No, they don't know. If they knew no. what was best, they'd have done it. Right? So your officials can make all the decisions if there's a clear answer. They just go away and do it, right? But we're, they, they, they use the politicians when there's when it's stuck. Does that make sense? Like you're sitting there and you're thinking, um, right. if you're driving along the road and you've got a clear map, you go left, you go right, and you're heading for your destination, turn right, turn right, left, and everything's clear, it's fine. And then you come to an unexpected fork in the road. Could go left, could go right. You got to 
make a pick. That's when the civil servants come rushing to the President of the United States, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, or the Minister of their department, say, hey, Minister, we need you to make a decision. Do we go left or do we go right? Oh, I don't know. Let's try right. Done. And off they go. And they carry on turning left, turning right, turning right, turning left, not in a political sense, but, you know, making their way through. And 99.9% of all the decisions they can take, it's only the ones that don't have an answer that they come to you. And they actually don't care whether you say A, B, or C. They just need to get going on their thing. It's a very instrumental type of thing, the bureaucracy. It's It was extraordinary to me. And um, officials can talk amongst themselves and decide that this is the best course of action and they'll go and take it. If they can't decide what is the best course of action, they'll ask the minister and the minister will flip a coin and away it goes. It's sort of, ministers just sort of break up that little blockage in their thinking. Yeah, it's it just goes awful- to show the whole... You can't expect change just from politicians then. Yeah. No, it's an aw- it's an awful system, you see. And that's why, that's the crazy thing about why a market works so well, because you're driven by a profit and a loss. And if you're not doing and producing something that people want at a price you, they can afford to pay, you'll go out of business. And if you are producing what people want at a price that they can afford, you'll make money and get bigger and provide for people. The bureaucracy and the government have no measure of success. None. They're just turning over. Their money just rolls in. They take it off people. They pass a law. There's no consequence for being right. There's no consequence for being wrong. Even there is no such thing, uh, no, no thought in the bureaucracy of being right or being wrong. There's things like being caught out. There are things like um, <laughs> being on the front page of the newspaper. But they just carry on. And ultimately, of course, they've got the one thing that no one else in society has, and that is the legitimate use of force. They can make us all do things. No business can do that. But these government civil servants, even at a very low level, can make you jump. And in making you jump, they actually have no measure for their success other than the power that they wield. It's extraordinary. So I quite like it in a silly way that there's no parliament, but I wouldn't want it for too long because very quickly would emerge the full tyrannical force of our bureaucracy would be unleashed on us and we we can go to complain to our MP and that's the little bit of check that we have. The only The only check. So there you go. I think we're going to be a few weeks yet, Tony. I could be wrong, but I think we're going to get the specials and then they're going to get talking. And um, I doubt that Mr. Peters or Mr. Seymour have given much away to Mr. Luxon. And I would imagine that even though the specials haven't been counted, Mr. Luxon would love to have a great story to tell us about how he's making steady progress. And he's a great negotiator, but I think nothing is happening. Absolutely <laughs> nothing is happening. Isn't that funny? We voted and then changed the government and there was nothing happened. We And then you go, of course, Parliament's going to meet. They're going to meet for a couple Just of Just for days. a little bit and then go on a break. Go on a break. You know, middle of December, normally Parliament's gone. They might introduce some quick legislation and then go. And then they won't get back to Parliament till the end of January, early February. Oh my goodness! What's the story with that? We'll have to do that on another politics. Explain why? Why the you know? Well, they used to have long breaks. It used to be like 
It used to be longer. Uh, yes. Mm. Farmers, the farmers would only sort of come along in winter when they weren't busy on the farm and they would run the country. And of course, well, yes, back then, though, they were doing a whole lot less in terms they of. They were doing a whole lot less. They weren't professionals. They weren't paid as it was, was not a full time job. Some of them would take days to get to Parliament in the old days before there was air travel. Um, they'd do extraordinary trips to get to Wellington to cast a vote. Um, and uh, and then it became, I think it was only in the 80s even, that it became like a full-time paid job. Um, and that's why they used to have so many perks to sort of try and trick people and make up their pay. Um, and Parliament used to not sit for six months, I think. Extraordinary. I can't remember the exact details, but now they still have this extraordinary long summer. Why? Because it suits the politicians. They get to vote their salary, basically. They have appointed a higher salaries commission, but they get to appoint who gives them their pay and decides their pay. So then that's a good signal. And then they get to decide when they'll sit and when they'll work. I don't know what some of these list MPs that you've never heard of would do. I don't think they'd do an, an hour a day. I truly don't. I don't know what they'd do. It's extraordinary system, and um, I guess it's a price you pay for for democracy. No, it always... doesn't have to be that because I think it's just we just once more people are aware of the problem, then they will demand better, and then the people yeah. will feel a little bit of pressure to do a bit better. So, but that uh, said, there'll be entire from. there'll be entire offices of bureaucracy that have not done a thing for years, just <laughs> turned up. And they're probably the least dangerous ones because over there they're busy and they're causing trouble. Oh, yeah. my goodness. I liked that when the Ministry of Health did nothing. It never ran the hospitals, of course, the things that matter. Never ran doctors. It just did health policy. And no one cared for it and never did much. And it was perfect. It uh, consumed dollars and wrote papers and produced paperwork uh, and policy papers. And that was it. Of course, when they got a little bit of power with COVID huh, and they got busy working, uh, that's when the trouble started. There we go, Tane. We've got a bit of a ramble because we've got no government, no decisions. Glorious. Yeah, that good. was Politics Explained with Tane Webster. You're on Rattly Check Radio. Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Send us to Dex 2057. Email me, inbox at Oh, my goodness. I love this show. I love the listeners. And it's so fun talking politics at the moment, and it's going to get better. Trust me. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Politics Explained. Back to basics in the political sandpit with Rodney Hyde and Tane Webster.